What's up, Benchwarmers? A quick announcement before we get the show going today and some news that could affect your listening. Uh, starting next Monday, November 5th, Off the Bench with Canel and Bell will be changing time slots. So for those of you that have been watching us at 7 a.m. Eastern on CBS Sports HQ, that's changing and shifting back to 10 a.m. on the network. What does that mean for the pod? Well, typically we have episodes ready by 9 a.m. That's also going to be pushed back to around noon Eastern. It also means Danny and I might get slightly more sleep, but be able to bring you better content and energy on the show. Thanks for the support as always. It's appreciated as Off the Bench gets bigger and better and a bit later. Again, a reminder, the next time you hear us, it will be later in the day. Next Monday, Off the Bench moving to 10 a.m. Eastern on CBS Sports HQ. Podcast version of the show will be released by noon Eastern. Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. That's the throw. First and 10. And tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has it's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Welcome to another episode of Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. We are in uncharted territory as Danny is not here today and Brady Quinn is supposed to fill in and he's not here today. Um, then Coca, there were two. Yeah, right? Like, so Hannah, it's you and I, and like Coca said, like our producer, like both of these guys, in Danny's words, are like the CEOs. They're like the quarterbacks. <laughs> They're the face of the franchise and we're, we're missing both to start. So talk to me, Hannah. What's up? How was last night? I have to ask you about last night, Roger, because oh. I saw some photos of you and your family out trick-or-treating. Yeah. I gotta talk about your daughter. She was Minnie Mouse. I, <laughs> I was obsessed over her costume. Yeah. How did last night trick-or-treating go? Um, it was good. Kaya was, um, she participated, which it was late for her because she's usually 6.30 bedtime, but mm -hmm. she went up and she was a hit. Like, you know, she was taking her little bucket up and going to get the candy. And so all of her big brothers kind of like dovetailed behind her because like they just robbed anyone whose right. house she went to. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was cool. We walked around the neighborhood for a little while. I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, my son's 11 and I was trying to remember, you know, when I was 11, but I'm a little further away than you are. At what point does like the costume and actually participating in the trick or treating start to not be cool? Somewhere along the lines, so I was FaceTiming my mom last night when she was handing out candy, which is very mm -hmm. embarrassing. But she got to a point, I heard this this kid who was older come up and say, just give me some candy. <laughs> my mom was like, oh, what are you? He's like, just give me some candy. Just so I think that should be the cutoff whenever you're at that age where you're solely going just for candy and not for the experience anymore. But Raja, I do have to ask you, I saw a lot of athletes were out, they were out there like after yeah. the game or before the game and they were dressed up. Did you do that back in your playing days on Halloween? No, that's like a new thing. I think, um, you know, I think Instagram and, and, and social media has kind of fueled that a little bit. We didn't really get into it. We just came and, and we played the game and and uh, I kind of wish we did because I like dressing up. Like I, I, I got a kick yeah. out of it. But we didn't, we didn't participate, dude. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. It yeah. Wasn't, uh, a little traffic. All. Just a 95? little. Just a little bit on ninety five. Yeah, dude. If you miss like that window, there's a sweet spot. Yeah. If you miss it. You're, you're in trouble. I, I tend to find that window where when you're going driving in the morning, yeah. all of a sudden you hit an accident oh, yeah. and you're, then you're stuck you're behind all the traffic and now you're getting off at other exits trying to like find your way through school zones to get here. The accident magnet. Um, all right. Well, good to be here, dude. Cause I, I, I was kind of dreading talking football dolo. That's like, <laughs> so, um, let's get right into it, man. We got Le'Veon Bell. He's still a, a no show, right? They said he, uh, he had said he planned to return after the bye. That obviously didn't happen. Um, then he was going to report after the deadline. The deadline was what, uh, Tuesday. That didn't happen. Where do we go from here? What's this situation look like? Yeah. So I had an opportunity to speak with his agent, uh, before the season started and the game plan that his agent really played out for him 
it has been everything that I kind of thought from from speaking with him. Right. That was that he wasn't going to come back until after week 10, which is essentially his deadline to come back and report to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then they could potentially put him on um, the a two-week exemption list to see if he's in shape, and they can actually renegotiate that salary for those two weeks. And then after that, those two weeks, he would have to get paid whatever fraction remains from the franchise tag. So the whole point of the conversation I had with his agent was he wants to preserve Le'Veon Bell for the future. Right. It feels like the past two years, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, have put a lot of wear and tear on him, both running the football, catching the football. So his whole thing is he believes that he can get that Todd Gurley type running back deal. Um, and, and, and he just wants to preserve his client since the Pittsburgh Steelers never wanted to make that long term investment. And in sure. The, the interesting thing though is like a player like Adrian Peterson, who right now is into his, you know, mid low thirties. He's, he's running really well for the Washington Redskins. Maybe makes a case for why some team or a team will pay Le'Veon Bell what he's looking for. Yeah. So I, my first question would have been, like the market for Le'Veon Bell, would you think that it exists to the degree that he and his agent think that, that it is out there? Like, I mean, it's it's so tough because it only takes really two teams, right? You know, two teams to create a market, and then and you know how that works. But the thing that I think impresses me most about him is how good of a route runner he is. Yeah, and and that's where I think there's still going to be a market for him because he is so versatile. You don't need to take him off the field, and you know, for the most part. He's a guy you can kind of plug in and play and put him in a bunch of different spots. So then uh, it begs, this was the next point I had. So these are the stats for James Conner and Le'Veon Bell. These are the first seven games of the last two seasons, right? And like you may already know him, but I didn't. Um, you've got Le'Veon Bell uh, with 28.9 touches per game compared to 22.6 for Conner. Yeah. Scrimmage yards for Le'Veon were 128.3, 131.7 for James Conner. Uh, yards per touch, 4.4 Le'Veon Bell, 5.8 for Conner. Uh, and scrimmage TDs, four for Le'Veon Bell and nine for James Conner. So when I'm asking about the market, like, I think that that, that hurts Le'Veon Bell in negotiating, right? When you can plug a guy in like that, but you alluded to the fact, and maybe this is the kicker, is that he's not nearly the type of all-around versatile offensive threat. Is that kind of what we're getting at there? Like, he, he's not nearly the route runner, pass catcher. Um, what is the difference between him and James Conner? Yeah, right now I think one James Conner is just less experienced. That's obvious. But well, the other thing is, is he's not as good catching the football out of the backfield. Right. You, you can't necessarily line him up all the time out at wide receiver and expect him to run those sorts of routes. You can with Le'Veon Bell. He, he can run a decent amount of the wide receiver route tree. Yeah. Whereas James Conner can't. He can catch the football well, and, and he can do some stuff with the football. He's just not as good of a route runner like that. And and the stats are a little bit misleading only because, if you remember, Le'Veon Bell was franchise tagged last year. Yeah, he came in late. Yeah, he came in late. So I think it kind of took him a few weeks to get his legs going underneath him. And I think the team, too, was more patient with him and getting him going a little bit. And even with that, like the stats are still pretty impressive for what he did. And the other thing is, is James Conner is somewhat of an unknown. Yeah, I mean, he came in this year replacing Le'Veon Bell. And I'm sure teams went with the game plan of, we're worried about Antonio Brown. We're worried about Juju Smith-Schuster. We're worried about all these other pieces. Yeah. When Le'Veon Bell's in the backfield, he commands another defensive player up around the line of scrimmage. So it opens things up for everyone else. He's proven that. I don't know that James Conner's proven that quite yet. Maybe he has now with what he's done. But I also think, to your point, it speaks to the offensive line. Right. Your offensive line's been one of the better offensive lines in the AFC or maybe in the NFL for probably about the last three or four years. You bring Le'Veon Bell back at this point, and the Steelers have had to kind of reinvent themselves without him. And they've, you know, and they've been playing well, right? Like they've kind of hit their stride. How difficult is it to reinsert him into that lineup? Cause you're talking about week 10. 
and you're talking about possibly uh, sitting him for two more weeks, right? Like, what does that look like? Do you imagine they throw him back in the mix to end the season? My fear for that would be, like, you're trying to redevelop chemistry and identity as an offense with very limited time left on the clock. Yeah, I mean, and and you can speak to this because you know how that works, um, both being a player, being in the front office. Like, you've got something kind of rolling right now for you. Now, they got a tough one this week going to Baltimore, but, I mean, you've got things rolling. At the beginning of the season, things weren't going quite as well. And now you've really started to develop that chemistry again yeah. where Ben and Antonio Brown are happy. They, they seem to be in love again on the same page, hitting each other, um, you know, back and forth. And, and James Conner obviously has been productive. So if you bring Le'Veon Bell, does all of a sudden that start to kind of mess up the mojo? And it doesn't mess up the mojo in the locker room. Like that's kind of a fragile thing. Sure. And, you know, maybe there's the potential of that. Maybe that's why they use those two weeks to kind of figure out what they want to do with them. Or there's the option of just rescinding the tag. I mean, we saw a team do that with David Gettleman back when he was with the Carolina Panthers. He did that with Josh Norman. Didn't think they could get a long-term deal done. And franchise tagged him and said, you know what? Go ahead. Go at the free agent market. We're good. We're moving on. So they were sitting the tag. He's free agent. Everyone's cut ties. It's yeah, I mean, deal. he could sign with someone at, at any point. Um, but, but you know, again, would you want to do that at this point? Because, I mean, I guess you already did trade deadline already passed, which that was unlikely anyway. Right. There were so many hoops they had to jump through. He would have to sign his franchise tag. Then they'd have to find a willing suitor. Um, even though they can't technically negotiate a long-term deal under the terms. So it'd have to be like, kind of like a wink nod. Right, 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 right. So there's just so many things that made that complicated. All right, well, let's move on to another AFC team because we've got a big matchup on uh, uh, this weekend with, with the Packers and the yep. Pats, like two of the GOATs. Um, it was remarkable for me. I They've only played in one head-to-head meeting yeah. where they both started. Packers won 26-21. to 21. A lot of speculation on what Tom does. Tom says he wants to keep playing. Could this be the last time we see him? Where do you stand on the debate between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers? And not in like team success, because that's clearly, yeah. you know, like Tom Brady's had that. I think some of that speaks to the stability in New England and Bill Belichick. But on purely quarterback play, where's Brady Quinn's there? I think Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. Right now, Aaron Rodgers is playing the greatest of anyone in the league. Okay. So that that's how I'd put yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fair. And I think when you look at Tom Brady, what's probably been most impressive to me is you look at his home road splits, meaning how does he play in an uncomfortable environment? How does he play throughout the course of playoffs when they don't necessarily have that, that advantage of Foxborough, which they usually do. But even then, I mean, he, he's played about as well as anyone ever. Right. Aaron Rodgers, when you look at his home and road splits, completely different story now of late he's been more impressive and i think as far as the win-loss record that probably falls more on his team but um he he's he he tends to have uh, be more impacted or affected by playing on the road compared with tom brady but again you know it'd be hard to go wrong i just think you look at the skill set of aaron Rodgers; he can make any throw from any angle i mean heck tom brady talked about how aaron Rodgers inspires him right up to this week just saying how you know the way he plays the things he does he wants to go outside and try to be better. I don't know that anyone can do, you know, quite as much as Aaron Rodgers can do from the pocket and the way he moves around and the way he makes you know, certain plays. Um, yeah, it's always interesting when you have greats, right? And like Tom Brady seems like prototypical pocket. A lot of those guys, even in basketball, they're they're kind of inspired by the guy who just goes out there and just lets it lets it ride a yeah. little bit, has a little bit more freedom of movement, a little bit more, you know, ability to get outside and and just kind of let it hang. Um. Let me ask you a question, though. I, personality types, right? Because they both, when when you're that good and you're running a team, you have to kind of be anal, I would think. Like, mo- most guys are a little anal about their stuff. And I watch these guys in interviews, and one comes across a little more likable at times than the other. 
Um, is which, that which one is that? Well, for me, it, like Brady comes across, and I don't love the Patriots, yeah. but he comes across for one reason or another. It's just a little bit more likable. Aaron comes across like he's got this chip on his shoulder, and I know Tom does too, right? Because yeah. he wasn't drafted high, but I, I think Tom wears it better for some reason. Like, is it? Do you know them? And is there something to that? Is Tom easier to work with? Is Aaron? Not that you tell me on the show, but like, what, what's the yeah, deal? No, no, Why no, is that no, for me? I, I've got obviously more of a relationship with Aaron Rodgers because of his relationship with my brother-in-law and spending more time around him. Right. I would say this for, for starters, they're both supremely confident in their abilities. Mm-hmm. I think with, with Aaron, it's a little bit different because, you know, he still was a first round draft pick. He just wasn't the number one overall pick like right. Smith was. It's a little bit different story. I also think Brett Favre had a bit of an impact on him and just his demeanor and how he carries himself. And, and you can't help it, but, but, you know, you know, when you, when you sit in a quarterback room for a number of years and spend all that time with a guy and you look at a guy in front of you who's a Hall of Famer, um, and who is as legendary as Brett Favre, it's hard not to emulate some of that. Okay. You know, and I think yeah. that's, you know, it's a matter of respect, right? You know, anytime you're copying someone else's style, whether it was, you know, some pieces of maybe LeBron, what he's taken from Jordan or anything else, but, but that's kind of something similar. And I think Brett kind of had a little bit of that attitude. Yeah. Right? Like the way he, he, you know, at the end of his career, especially with Green Bay, how he conducted himself. And I think Aaron realizes how good he is and how much he means to the Packers and really that whole city. Yeah. I mean, the state of Wisconsin for that matter. You know what's in, I mean, I, I said one comes off more likable in terms of, but I relate to Aaron. Like I, I, I played with that kind of emotion and that kind of like fire. You know what I mean? So I relate to him more. I just feel like he gets a bad rap sometimes with, with, with just the way he carries himself. Like he's got this chip and, and maybe, maybe the championships for Tom Brady have put to rest some of that. And if he didn't have them, he wouldn't be viewed like that as, Maybe. But, but I don't know. Anyway, let's keep it moving. And, and he had him so early on in his career too, which is a little bit different. Like it took Aaron a few years just to get to that starting role. Yeah. And then finally win with like with, with Tom Brady, it happened relatively soon. He got thrust in the situation. They win a Super Bowl. They win another. They win another. It's like, holy cow. Right. Maybe this guy might end up having a shot of being the greatest of all time with how many Super Bowls he wins and the success he has. All right. Let's move on to the Ram, the Rams and the Saints, right? Battle for M- NFC supremacy. Um, like most people have the Rams as, the favorite and yeah. then a group behind them that are chasing. Um, but obviously Drew Brees is having, you know, quite possibly an MVP season. Uh, what do you, what do you see this one looking like? I mean, people tend to think that this may be a shootout just because of the two offenses. And for whatever reason, the NFL, whenever you think that it always goes the other way. Yeah. Um, but it, it's hard to think, you know, how each defense is going to try to stop one of these two. You know, Drew Brees just doesn't turn over the football. Last week was the first interception he's thrown all year. That's incredible. Yeah. It, it really is to be that far into the season in the NFL and not throw an interception. But again, he, he's been playing at a really high level this late in the eight. He's 39 years old. Yeah. Um, so that's remarkable. They've got two running backs, too, and Kamara and Ingram that can hurt you out of the backfield. The wild card is the way they use Taysom Hill. I don't know if you know about this kid at all. Kid from, kid from BYU. BYU. Yeah. yeah, they use him as a wildcat quarterback. He's played some like tight end. He plays running back. He's played special teams. Like he's a wild card because I don't know what Wade Phillips and how he views him as far as when he comes in the game. You know how he's going to try to defend him. Um, but you know, then you look at the Rams and they've been unstoppable. Gurley's been up there next to Breeze. He's probably an MVP candidate. You can make the case probably for Jared Goff as well. And, and I think to me, the Rams offense, what makes it so difficult to stop is the way they spread around the football. I mean, you can try to stop Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup and Todd Gurley and, 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 um, Robert Woods. And then all of a sudden Josh Reynolds goes and catches a touchdown pass or Everett, their tight end catches a touchdown pass. I mean, it's just the way they spread around the football and the things that they do. It's tough. It's tough to stop them, and their offensive line too is playing as as one of the best. So I think if I had to pick a team to win yeah. this game, you give the advantage to New Orleans because they're at home, tough environment to go play in that dome. But that defense for the Saints, 
I don't know. I'm suspect on him. No, they just traded for Eli Apple. They throw him in the starting lineup right away. He struggled a week ago. Yeah. Matt Coker, our producer, he's he, he's going to talk about P.J. Williams. He got Defensive Player of the Week last week. Yeah. He had a pick six. <laughs> but, it, but he got like 100 yards on him and two touchdowns. We were debating about this, who played worse. Right, right, right. So they, will, they will pick on those two, and they will try to, you know, Take advantage of those weaknesses in their secondary. Taysom Hill, um, I've always wondered about this. You put him in the game, right? Yeah. Um, you're running this package. They do it kind of with um, <laughs> Lamar Jackson as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Is it his call at the line to throw that ball? Like, Because he actually launched one. I mean, yeah. it, 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 he underthrew the ball. The receiver came back and made a good catch. But is it, it – I've always wondered for the starting quarterback, right? Like, you put another guy out here, he better be running a damn ball. Like, don't give him my throw. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those pride things. So my question is, like, when you send him in there, is it his read at the line to throw that thing or run it? Because you rarely see them throw it, him or Lamar Jackson when it's, they're in It's there. a tendency breaker. Yeah. You can't – here's the thing is you can't set up your offense to fail. So you can't put Taysom Hill in there and not give him an opportunity to throw the football. Yeah. So I, I would imagine it was a design shot, and they went in knowing that they were going to try to throw the football. So people are saying, hey, when Taysom Hill comes in, he's only running the football. Let's go ahead and put all these bodies around the line of scrimmage. They, they've got to do something to soften the coverage up. So they've got him. They've got Teddy Bridgewater. Um, they're not really treat, – they're treating him like a quarterback to some degree, right? Like they, they think that he could potentially be a quarterback one day. Sometimes you see the gimmicks, and, and you know that – you know, there's not really a shot that he's going to play quarterback, but what it, what is, what are the Saints outlook on Taysom Hill going forward? You know, I would say this from watching him at BYU for the extent of his career, he faced a lot of injuries. If, had he been healthy, he might have been a Heisman candidate. Yeah. It was that, uh, dynamic. It's a different game though. And if you couldn't stay healthy at the college level, you're probably not going to stay healthy doing this kind of stuff and running around the NFL level. Uh, I don't know that he's accurate enough either as a passer. He kind of touched on like the underthrow of that ball. Right. It's, well, yeah, that's that's kind of what you get. He was inconsistent as a passer. He was just unbelievable running the football. Yeah. So, you know, if, if Teddy was the successor, I would imagine they continue to keep Taysom Hill as an emergency backup. And then a guy you can mix in like this. But, I mean, if you look, if you're playing him on special teams, there's yeah. no chance. There's no chance you're saying he's going to be our future quarterback. I guess. Um, as right. advertised, we got Will Brinson on the show with us. He's CBS Sports senior writer. Uh, you can follow him at Will Brinson on Twitter. He's the host of the Pick 6 podcast, uh, CBS Sports Daily NFL podcast. Um, and with Brady on Tuesday edition. So, sometimes Mondays, though, right, Will? Sometimes Mondays. Well, sometimes. we had an emergency podcast because Hugh Jackson and uh, Todd Haley and half of the people who work in Cleveland got canned, and we had to jump on there and fire <laughs> up. That's that's the beauty of a daily podcast. Hey, look, Raja worked the Cavs. They canned their head coach. It's been a pretty big week for Cleveland. So yeah, everyone's Cleveland, used to that. Cleveland's got it figured out, apparently. Um, so, look, let's talk Let's talk Brady and Rodgers. Um, Brady and I got into it earlier, but how meaningful is this game tonight, Will? Well, it's, or this it's, weekend, sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's just meaningful for the, I think meaningful for both teams, obviously. It's, it's going to be huge because it's a primetime game that, you know, everyone's going to watch. Uh, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers has ever played Brady in, uh, in Foxborough, which is pretty crazy. Uh, you know, they always see him every four years. And, it's, you know, from a NFL in 2018 perspective, it's a massive game for the Packers because they're three, three and one and they really need to win some football games. The Patriots, you can see their, their fate unfolding before them. They're going to win the AFC East. Uh, they're going to win it, you know, running away. And it just comes down to can, you know, can they match Kansas City Chiefs? Can they, um, you know, can they, you know, get that by, get that home field advantage for the Packers? I think this is a case of, you know, can we go in there and, uh, you know, can Rodgers outplay Brady and can we come away with a win? And, the, you know, the fun part about this from a legacy perspective is Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. But I think Aaron Rodgers, for me, and I don't know about you guys, but Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback of all time. And that's a fun matchup to watch. 
Yeah, I, I kind of phrased it somewhat similar earlier today when Raj asked me the same question, Will. Uh, I, I want to ask you this, though, because as you look at this past week with a trade deadline, um, you know, typically you see when, when teams trade for veteran players, they're in the hunt. They're, they're trying to do whatever they can to get to that next Super Bowl. But in this case, the Green Bay Packers trade away two other players. Ty Montgomery is understandable considering what happened a week ago. But HaHa Clinton Dix, a guy who was a consistent player for them, always in the starting lineup, a solid player at safety, trading him to the Redskins. What do you kind of make of that move? What do you think Aaron Rodgers is thinking about the move that they kind of made at the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, you look at teams like the Arizona Cardinals and the Oakland Raiders and the New York Giants. And I mean, they made, they made trades to dump players, but not that many trades. And, and they're, they all have like, you know, four wins combined. And here you have the Packers who are supposed to be competing for a Super Bowl in, in the, you know, in the, the late prime of Aaron Rodgers career. And they're trading away a former first round pick safety who's been, you know, been, frankly, been playing at, at a pretty high level to a, to, you know, to a team that they're going to be, could be competing with for an NFC wild card and certainly could end up playing in the NFC playoffs. It, it, it's a, it's a major red flag. I think Brian Gutekunst, the GM for the Packers, uh, certainly has has decided that he, thank you, has certainly decided that he wants to sort of, you know, change out the personnel there. And, you know, Haha Clinton Dix held out during training camp and he wants a new contract. He's in the final year of his deal. So, they, you know, they weren't going to get a ton for him on the safety market in terms of compensatory picks. So I understand getting something back and they've invested a lot in the secondary. They have a ton of young guys there uh, for, you know, first and second round picks over the past two years. But it's a red flag to me. It screams, you know, maybe we don't think we're a Super Bowl winning team and maybe we need to recalibrate things a little bit or, or, I mean, maybe they just have faith in the young guys. I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a concern if you're in Rodgers. To that point, Gerald Alexander did have a great game last week. I think Kevin King looks good. It does seem like maybe if they're going to play, cause they used Ha Clint Dix in that like three safety nickel package. I think maybe they're thinking maybe their, their best nickel package ends up being putting three cornerbacks on the field. So maybe that's some of the logic to it as well. Uh, all right, let's move to Thursday night's game. We get the Raiders and the Niners. Uh, you know, both of them are a little bit of a mess right now for different re- <laughs> different reasons, obviously. But uh, look, I guess my question is, what, what do you see going down tonight? And then who will be competitive first? Like they both got a ways to go, but which one gets there first? Well, I see uh, a lot of tweets about how this game manages to get bigger ratings than like in a hockey game and or like a hockey playoff game or something like that. It still will. Because people have. Maybe one or two people in fantasy, and uh, you know there's, there's gambling on the line for this game. I, like I don't, I don't think it's gonna be very exciting. It could be maybe more points than we think because both defenses are bad. But this is a Thursday night game between you know two teams with one you know, one win each. They're not going anywhere this year. Interesting circumstances though, because the 49ers had a very high win. You know, they've had high win totals coming into the year. The Raiders are terrible because they're purposely getting rid of all their players and. Um, you know, they've, they've got an old offensive mind who's sort of leading them. The 49ers have Kyle Shanahan, who's done a really good job, I think, coaching up this offense, given that they lost Jimmy Garoppolo to an ACL. And let's not forget, they lost Jarek McKinnon, too. I mean, he was supposed to be a huge part of this offense in San Francisco um, and a huge part of Kyle Shanahan's you know, schematic plans. And, and he went down with an ACL early in the season or before the season as well. Uh, so I would say that I see San Francisco being more competitive uh, earlier, they had the quarterback they they believe in, at Jimmy Garoppolo. He'll be back next year. We've seen some, you know, we've seen guys in recent years come back from these ACL injuries, and I think the Raiders are still very much te- in the process of tearing this thing down and still trying to get prep for 2020 heading to Oakland. I think San Francisco can be good next year. I think Oakland is a minimum of two seasons. 
Well, let's talk about the game, though. I know it might be tough to watch for some people. It seems like it could be a low-scoring game based on what we've seen from both these teams coming into it. I actually think it might be a high-scoring game because of that, because both defenses are so darn bad. Uh, C.J. Beathard's questionable with that wrist injury. Could be Nick Mullins either way. What do you see in tonight's game? I, I, I think you're right, Brady. I, I I think we could see some points. I mean, you know, look, look at these defenses. They're awful. And, and every time you see somebody, like the Colts went out to – to India to Oakland is a three point favorite and hung, you know, almost a 50 burger on the, on the Raiders last week. And, and the Colts weren't like winging it all over the place. Andrew Luck, um, had less than 35 passing attempts. And, and you know, you, you see San Francisco, they just can't run with anybody in the secondary. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw a lot of points. I think the over is actually some pretty good value here. Um, and it, and I would wait on it because I would expect that the total would come down if CJ Beathard is, is ruled out and Nick Mullins is, who's, as you see, has never taken an NFL snap, is forced to start. Um, you know, I would probably lean taking the Raiders plus two and a half if it's still out there. Um, as we get closer to game time, I would assume that the injury report with CJ Beathard would, uh, would sort of, uh, manifest itself in that point spread. If you can still get the Raiders with the points, I like them tonight. Will, last one for me, and you gotta kinda be quick cause we're a little bit up against it, but, you know, one of the storylines people aren't talking about in this game is John Gruden and just the kind of backstory between him and Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was on his staff as a quality control. He was on, obviously, his, his dad's staff, not necessarily uh, something that you would see, but as like a ball boy, things like that, back when he was with the Broncos, when they played Gruden back when he was first with the Oakland Raiders. Any any kind of storylines you're looking for in that regard with John Gruden and Kyle Shanahan squaring off? So, yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, if you think back to week one, remember Sean McVay and John Gruden, of course, have a long history too. And it, I think that's an interesting idea in the, in the sense that, um, you know, John Gruden seemed to have things figured out in week one. I don't know if that was a home game Monday night, uh, first week of the season type of thing or whether he can actually scheme up against a guy that he knows fairly well. Um, but, but I think that's worth watching. I don't know that I think, you know, the, the Shannon clan have, have, have coached with so many different people that I, I don't know that you can worry too much about the crossover there. The old Shana clan, huh? Hailing from what, Dublin somewhere over there? That's right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, brother. Nice breakdown on the games. Um, you can follow him at Will Brinson on Twitter. Uh, we've got to get over to Hannah for a little socially relevant. All right, guys, we got to talk about what LeBron James did on Instagram yesterday. No, it was not a Halloween costume. It looks like the king was all about the tricks this year because yesterday the Lakers superstar posted a photo of him alongside Kobe Bryant as teammates together on the Lakers. And his cryptic caption only added more confusion to the whole thing. He said, quote, man, imagine if we had, it wouldn't even be, never mind, hashtag living legends. So if I remember correctly, Kobe joked that he would come out of retirement if the Lakers dropped to 0-5 this season. The team obviously avoided that, even though they sit at 2-5 and right now. Raja, is this just going to be the tease that never ends between these two guys and Lakers fans? Yeah, it's getting old for me. Like, just <laughs> what? Let, it, let, let, let Kobe it. come back. I want to see them play together, how that would work. Kobe, do not come back and blow out everything in your knee. <laughs> how long has Kobe been out? Kobe's been out, what, three years now? Keep it in shape. Nah, Kobe, you didn't see you didn't see a picture of Kobe on Instagram? Oh, uh, was it bad? Yeah, yeah, a little beer, little beer belly. and uh, yeah, I don't know if it was Photoshop, but anyway. Vino, right there. That would have been like one of the deadliest uh combinations, but... They both like the ball. LeBron is a ball. Le- you gotta have two basketballs. Yeah, dude, come on. That that one that one might not work out the way people thought it would. I'm sorry, I'm still laughing at this beer belly photo. I gotta go look this yeah. up. After yeah, you gotta check it out. I mean, it could have been photoshopped. I don't know, but he was working with a little bit of yeah, a little bit of uh, yeah. little bit of dad bod going on. <laughs> a little dad bod. Hey, listen, bro. All you, do you think? 
All right, Raja, I promised you that we would get to this later on in the day. You said this wasn't a thing players used to do, but luckily for all of us, these guys like to have some fun and dress up for the holidays. So we're going to run through a couple of these. I want to hear you guys grade all of these costumes. So the first one, Texans DeAndre Hopkins, he dressed up as Avatar. I think that this one is pretty impressive. I give it an A. I hope that it comes on the screen. There we go. He's he's decked out in blue paint. Wow. That's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, that might be an A. That's a solid that's, A. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Think about how much time that took to paint him, too. Oh, yeah. Contacts in. He's got green eyes like an avatar. He had to have a professional do this one. Holy cow. Or Next Hannah, one. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, we got Clay Thompson. He dressed as Jackie Moon from Will Ferrell's character <laughs> in Semi-Pro. Not bad. Not bad. I think I this is boring. <laughs> oh, have you seen the movie? The movie's low-key kind of funny. Yeah, it's not bad. I get that. It's a B. It's a B. Yeah. All right. Another one. Bulls Robin Lopez. He dressed as Elliot. From E.T. for Halloween this season. Check out this video here. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's that's an A+. Look at him. He's on a bike. It's, he's pedaling. He's got it in low gear because he's like pedaling <laughs> 17 times to go right. one foot. P- part of me wants to say it's amazing. <laughs> the other part wants me to say it's kind of creepy. Like, yeah. it's well, he's creepy. a weird dude. Him and his, yeah. like, he's a, a good dude, but a, a strange dude. He always like fight the mascots for the opposing Fights the mascots. He's really into like drawing so like, comic books and stuff. All right. The next one is a great one. JaVale McGee, he dressed up as the Grinch. And this is crazy. He somehow found a seven-foot Grinch costume, which is pretty impressive. But what's even better about all of this is that he kept his trademark fanny pack. Danny's probably really jealous of this one. It's a little weird, but he stayed on brand. I don't know, man. Come on. It's not in season. It's not Christmas time yet. I, I get it. He's seven feet tall, found it in the fanny pack. But that's well, see If you take that head off and you get rid of the green color, he looks like the Grinch. Like he does. <laughs> he looks like the Grinch a little bit so without the costume. Do I don't think he had to do he much. He up without the Grinch. Yeah, he's a Grinch. All right. All right. Our last one is WNBA's Elena Della Donna. She posted this creepy video saying, quote, coming to a nightmare near you. Happy oh. Halloween, everyone. Check okay. this out. Watch her go up the stairs in a little bit. Like, her, these legs are crazy. Yeah, she's That's got some long old legs, huh? Got a Weimar armor. This uh, this video is way too long. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a walk down. Oh wow! Right, this is oh, what wow. I was talking that, about. That, yeah, it's that's like five weird. steps at a time. Now, now that's kind of now that's kind of weird. That's how that's I would like weird. to go up the stairs. I wore that happen. outfit for Halloween about four years ago. Did you? Yeah, I didn't that's pull nice. it off like that's she like did. A low key scary outfit. Yeah, yeah, it was a Halloween party, and I I actually participated that time. I I hated scary movies, but I loved Halloween. I yeah, know. that's interesting. I don't I don't I like the candy. <laughs> all right, guys, that is all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up after the break, Raja and Danny take a look at tonight's Thursday night football matchup and break down today's leftovers. Stay with us. You're watching Off the Bench. All right, let's get to some leftovers. Let's go out to the land. Uh, they got some stuff going on in the land, all right? We got... <laughs> We got the Cavs firing T. Lou, and then you got the the Browns doing what they did with Hugh Jackson, and and um, look, they got Larry Drew in place now with the, right. with the Cavs. Larry was the associate head coach. He's one of the better paid associate head coaches. At, at is, about is he a, one of the better assistants in the league? Yeah, Larry Drew's a really good assistant. He's been a good head coach as well. Um, he's making about a million a year to be the associate head coach, though. Now they slid him into the first chair. Um, he says he's going to be a professional. He would never quit his job. Uh, I won't do that. He's going to be professional, but he wants to be paid. As a head coach, because that's the new, you know, those are the new duties that he's, that he's assumed. Uh, the Cavs are dragging their feet on it. I, I, like, I, I don't really know what to say about this one, except if you're going to ask the man to do the job, the Cavs, that is, you've botched everything with this. Right. Just pay him for the year. I think the catch is Larry wants a long-term deal. If I'm the Cavs, I'm not so sure that I'm locking into a long-term deal, but I would pay him 
to the rest of this year, do the yeah. job this year. Yeah. And that's where when you look how quickly they fired Tyron Lue, I say to myself, don't punish Larry Drew for your mistake. Correct. You should have fired Tyron Lue before the season then. Absolutely. You, that early in the season, it wasn't going to work out. So they should at least figure out a way of compensating for the rest of the season. Although I, I wonder if that feels like that puts them in a position where now, not necessarily that they're more likely to make him the next head coach full yeah. time. Um, but you know, you're spending additional money on a guy that isn't probably going to be the next head coach, right? Yeah. But you're, I mean, you're on the hook with, with T. Lou. And so you're spent, you're spending money anyway. And I guess if you brought in a guy now, like who are you going to get right now anyway? Right. I was going to ask you. I don't, I, I don't know who you, that you'd bring in. No, nobody of quality. I don't think. Can I ask you this too? Is, is this a good job now? Like it, it's obviously is if LeBron's there. Is it a no. good job working with Dan Gilbert? No, it's not a good no. job. No, I, and, and look, even when LeBron was there, you could make the case that it was almost an impossible job. Not because of LeBron, but like the way they've run their organization. Look what they did to David Griffin. David Griffin's a good friend of mine. Like he, he hasn't re-signed a GM there for, I don't know, like the last four or five times around the block in terms of Dan Gilbert and their staff. They just think people are relatively expendable. And when you're dealing um, in that kind of environment, like it's really hard to be successful. So to answer your question, no, I don't think it's a great job. I don't think they have a great culture is the biggest thing. And I think LeBron brought that, that good culture. I think he tried to, you know, cultivate that within the locker room and maybe that would spread outward yeah. to the rest of the organization with some of that. Maybe I'm wrong in that assumption, but I feel like that's more of the issue. Uh, yeah. Cause I think both LeBron and David Griffin, the word they use a lot when I was there was culture, but the, the kicker there is Dan Gilbert has his own culture. Yeah. Like he's quick and loans and all those guys are from Detroit and they're all good dudes. Like I love them. Nate Forbes and, and, um, I, I all, uh, uh Jeff, uh, what's Jeff's last name? I don't know. I forget. But point is they've got their own culture in terms of running businesses and they think that that's the way to do it. And I'm not sure that that culture translates to like professional sports. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I got you. All right. L- let's talk about the story from East Stroudsburg D2 longtime coach Denny. Dowds called a fourth timeout at the very end of a game to tell his team he's retiring after 45 seasons. He then walks off the field alone, tipping his cap yeah. as time expires on the way to his car. He did it his way. Yeah. Uh, if you had a, I guess, a way of just retiring on your own terms, how would you have done it? Yeah, this is this is a pretty good way to do it. I mean, yeah. he's, got, he's got two games left that he's just like, yo, somebody else handle that because he wants to go out in front of the home crowd, right? Like, I think this is a pretty gangster move. Um and he did, by the way, he did shake the head coach's hand on yeah. the sideline, so it was a good show of sportsmanship and just bounced. Uh, the problem is, that, did they get a, did they get a penalty for that though? I mean, you only get three per half. Yeah, I think <laughs> that the game ended on the penalty, right? And he was able to walk off. So they got, he's, Dodds is the all-time leader in D2 football, uh, for games coach with 471, which is seventh overall in college football history. And his 264 career wins, uh, all at East Strasburg, by the way, are Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference record. Uh, so I think he deserved the moment. Yeah. I don't know how I would have done it necessarily, but I think, you know, going on the road and ending your season uh, somewhere else, uh, having to catch a bus back or whatever, like, uh, he doesn't deserve that. The moment on the field, waving goodbye, blowing kisses, hey, have your moment, brother. I always look at, like, who had the best walk-off ever to retire to finish their career. Yeah. It's not, it's hard to think that John Elway didn't only because the way he did it. Like that Broncos team was so incredible. His first Super Bowl and you're thinking, all right, John Elway's old. Should he come back? Yeah. He does. They win another one. Then he's like, sayonara, I'm out. That wasn't a bad way of doing it. Like you look at Peyton, he was kind of just limping along where he really won that second Super Bowl just so he could say he's even with his brother. I wasn't as big of a fan of, of that way of, of doing it, but he did get the second ring. MJ's would have been super gangster had he just stay retired. Did he retire the second time or did he just sign with Washington? I don't really remember. Did he retire after the second time he won a championship? Like, uh, the second, I, 
When he came out of retirement and he won three more, did he retire again? I thought he kind of did, then maybe came back out of it. It was, so a, little, it was a little Brett Favre-esque. He could have had two of the best retirements, right, going out on top, and then he right. comes back and kind of tarnishes. I wish he never, never would have retired in the first place. Or I wish he would have because I was a Cavs fan. Uh, any good trick-or-treating stories? You missed the first segment. Well, so our daughter, uh, two years old, uh, two years and like three months. And yeah. So we were we were taking around. We were in Greece. I was Danny Zuka. Oh. She was with Sandra D. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. We, we were the you know T-Birds and all that. We were walking right. around. She doesn't really fully understand the concept. I was telling you during the break, we would walk up to a house and she would try to go in the house. Oh, house like there's an invite into yes. the house. Right? We're like, no, 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 no. This, this, we don't know these people. Like it's, it's trick or treat. Right. So then, you know, she, we thought she got the concept of like putting the bag out. They put the candy in. You say thank you and walk away. Yep. Well, then she started going up with like other kids and she would try to give them her candy. She's so a she was, sharer. She was trying to share. And yeah. I was like, this is, that's this good. Is, yeah. I'm not going to tell her it's yeah. not right because I wanted to share, but at the same time, maybe daddy wants a little bit of your yeah, candy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, save a little bit. Yeah. I was like, now, now you're giving away this other kid. Yeah. Do you guys have policy for her going forward? Like, do you ration the candy out now? Does she get to get in the bag whenever she wants some candy or is oh, she no, too young for, she'll never see that again. She'll never, never see that again. Oh my no God. Sure. They do this thing now. I might hide all my kids' candy today, take some videos and see if they flip out. 